You know, a couple of years ago, um, after one of our great high holiday services here at MGE, there was this young guy who comes over to me after the service, and he's so exuberant and excited. He says, Rabbi, this was my best high holidays ever. You totally can count on me for being here next year again. And I know he was trying to pay me a compliment and say something nice, but when I heard next year again, and I turned right back to him, I said, next year? I said, what about next week, Shabbat? If the service was so great, then why do I have to wait a whole year to see you again? And he gave me a very honest answer. He says, Rabbi, I don't come every week because I'm not religious. And I'm not religious because I don't think you need to believe in God or be religious in order to be a good person. And that's my question. Is this true? Do you have to be religious? Do you have to believe in God? Follow some kind of spiritual path to be good? Can you still be a decent person? without believing in God, without observing Shabbat, without coming to MGE? Can you be good without being a part of MGE? That's a really deep question. And I asked this question uh, this week because we were introduced to Avraham two weeks ago, Parshat Lech Lecha, as the man who discovers God and brings monotheism to the rest of the world. But in this week's Parsha, in Parshat Vayera, we're introduced to a different Abraham, He's the kind Abraham. He's the one running around after these three strangers trying to offer them hospitality. We're introduced to his goodness, to his chesed, his kindness. And he prays for the people of Sodom, the way he takes care of his wayward nephew Lot. Avram is not only, therefore, the first to promote the belief in a one and only God, in a supernatural God, but he's the first to show how that belief is expressed in chesed, in kindness. He promotes not only monotheism, but ethical monotheism. He's both the man of God and the man of goodness. And you have to have one to have the other. Rabbi Dr. Norman Lamb, of blessed memory, my teachers and mentors, on this very Parsha, in this very building, in 1965, delivered a sermon. And he said, and I quote, We cannot deny that there are good people who do not believe in God. However, Judaism maintains that such goodness cannot last forever. The moral instincts that prevail today are but the residue of a religious reservoir which is rapidly drying up. We're living off the ethical interest, he continues to say, from the quickly dwindling religious capital of two generations ago. And this, my friends, he said back in 65. Ethical living, continued Rabbi Lamb, is the branch of a tree of life of which its roots are religion. When you cut off the root, The branch does not wither immediately, but eventually it must die. So what Rabbi Lamb is saying is that a person without God or religion can be good. And we all know good, decent, moral people who don't believe in God, who don't follow any kind of religious life. The point is, is that a person without God or religion can be good, but it's temporary. He or she may be good now, but what is going to sustain it for the long run especially when sacrifice is required. A godless goodness, as Rabbi Lamb, is simply not compelling enough when one is asked to risk something real for it, when honesty isn't the best policy in a given situation, when it's going to cost the person to be honest. No one else is looking around. There's only one thing that's going to compel a person to do the right thing, and that's because they believe someone else is noticing, someone else is watching. You know, in secular law, Which is worse, robbery or theft? Theft is, of course, stealing an item from another person, but it's by stealth of the night.
robbery is by force or intimidation. According to secular law, robbery is worse. Right? You get being mugged in the middle of the day. But according to halacha and Jewish tradition, theft quietly at night is considered worse because it's implying no one else is watching. It's not only taking an item from another person, it's denying God. Another reason, says Rabbi Lamb, why God is necessary is not only a goodly, a godly goodness, he says, can produce saintliness, what we would call in Hebrew, kedusha, holiness, right? which is really the highest expression and the culmination of goodness. In Judaism, we're not just trying to become good. We're trying to become amazing. We're trying to become holy. And a godless goodness can at best produce a decent person, but it's never going to give birth to a saint. It will never produce a holy man or holy woman, which is really one of the goals of Judaism. And Rabbi Lamb uses the example of the great Greek philosopher Plato, whose master and teacher Socrates, who's trying to say something nice, who's trying to praise his teacher Socrates. And in his famous symposium, the best thing he can muster up about Socrates in terms of his integrity and his character was that he was not a sexual degenerate as so many other Greek thinkers of that period was. Can you imagine someone saying that of a rabbi? That the greatest praise is that he wasn't sexually perverted? That would be the biggest insult because a religious person's goodness is expressed, Rabbi Lamb says, in the pinnacle of human development where goodness and godliness merge to produce saintliness, kedusha, to be holy. And lastly, Rabbi Lamb argues, a godless goodness is not reliable. It's constantly changing. And that's what we see in the Parsha. Abraham and Sarah are forced to leave Israel because of a famine. They go down to Egypt to find food. They know that Egypt is a place which is bereft of morality. And Abraham is afraid because Sarah is beautiful. And he's concerned that she's going to, take, she's going to be taken into the, king's pharaoh, into the king's harem. So to avoid this, Avram tells the Egyptians he is Sarah's brother. That was two weeks ago. The identical episode is repeated in this week's Parsha this time involving not Paro, but another ruler named Avimelech, who was the king of a country called Gerar. And in that story, Abraham again tells the people of Gerar that Sarah is his sister. Upon discovering this deception, Avimelech, the king, asks Abraham, why did you need to lie? What did you see that caused you to do this thing? To which Avram famously answers, because I said there's no fear of God in this place. The Malbim and Metziv, two great commentaries, explain the following. He's saying what Avimelech, what the king was saying to Abraham was, I understand you need, you, you, you felt the need to trick the Egyptians in last week's Parsha. They are, after all, an immoral people. But why did you feel you needed to, to deceive us? The people of Gerar, we are an ethical and just people. And Avram answers, yes, it's true. You are a good and a moral people. But if there's no piety, if there's no yirat elokim, there's no fear of God, then how can I trust that your morality will remain, that you'll always be decent? You're decent now, but if there's no religion, if there's no faith in something above yourself, then what's to stop you from making up your own laws? and simply justifying whatever behavior fits the situation. And there's no fear of God. What was considered morally wrong yesterday can be justified and become commonplace today. We're all aware of how certain things 
in our society that were considered absolutely inappropriate 30 or 40 years ago are now totally accepted in our society. Rabbi Lamb gives two examples specifically. He talks about modest dress and the way we speak. Certain ways of dressing and speaking we all take for granted because they're in style, right? Which would have been completely inappropriate in our parents or grandparents' generation. And if goodness does not stem from a higher place, then it just becomes a matter of taste. And do we really want to be presenting ourselves the way we dress, the way we speak to other people based on what everyone else is saying or is doing, what is, what's fashionable? I think it starts in, in Paris, and then it goes to Milan, and then it comes to New York. That's how we're going to decide how to dress, or we're just going to decide how to speak based on the way everyone else is speaking. Shouldn't it be based on something higher? Or Vevel Brisker, the great rabbinic figure, explained that this is the incredible hypocrisy that Abraham was forced to deal with. Abraham was afraid that the Egyptians and the Gerarians would murder him, but he was not unafraid that they would commit adultery by abducting Sarah as a married woman. They knew they wouldn't leave him alive and take Sarah because they had respect for marriage. You don't mess around with another person's wife. Right? So what do we do? We'll kill him. And now he won't be someone else's wife. They had respect for marriage, but not respect for murder. Think about what happens in our generation. We have just the opposite. We have respect for murder, thank God, for human life. We take that very, very seriously. But respect for marriage, we all know, has waned in recent years. And there's a lot of questioning of the whole institution and how much loyalty and allegiance a husband and wife need to have towards each other. That's what Abraham meant when he said, Ein yirat There's no fear of God in this place. There'll be morality, but it'll be spotty, and it'll be inconsistent. And it could produce society which can kill a man to take his wife, but never take the wife as long as the husband is still alive. Again, respect for marriage, but not human life today. In a sense, we have just the opposite. Morality can mean one thing in one place and another thing in another. And this is a very, very important lesson and question because I believe it's one of the most pressing issues of our generation. Are there certain rights and wrongs? Is there an objective morality? We don't necessarily believe this anymore. It's not being taught that way anymore on college campus. But aren't there some activities we could all agree are absolutely wrong in every time and in every place. Judaism believes this to be true, but only because it's premised on the belief in a higher power. If you don't subscribe to that higher power, then with the greatest respect, it's just a matter. That's just your opinion. Lawrence Kellerman wrote a great book, Permission to Believe, and he argued that even something as fundamental as murder may or may not be seen as wrong. Because without a belief in God, one could certainly argue that murder is prohibited, by society because it's the most reasonable way to ensure everyone's survival. But we know that for some, survival is not the highest value. We've seen this in our own generation. Some people would prefer to blow themselves up rather than survive. And even those who would consider their survival the highest value, you could still conclude that murdering another person, God forbid, if you can get away with it from a purely rational, logical perspective, is advisable and even profitable at times. There's no inherent relationship between logic and morality. The Nazis proved that. Something could be very logical, but absolutely immoral. 
So pure reason can't be the reason why murder is always wrong. And if, as Kellerman suggests, murder is wrong because the majority of mankind said so, okay, maybe, you know, it was just the, the, the Nazi party, a minority group that got away with it, but everyone else says it's wrong. Was it okay then to murder before that person or that society deemed it immoral? And what happens after that person or society dies out? Every time someone is born or dies, humanity changes. Which civilization, which group of people, in which generation has the right to establish the ethical standards for all people at all time? The bottom line is that the only way to affirm any eternal universal ethic, like murder is wrong, is if you subscribe to a supernatural being who has the ultimate and exclusive right to be the moral arbiter for all of humanity at all times. If there is no such being, then saying murder is wrong is just your opinion. And that's what Avraham meant when he told Avimelech, Ein yirat elukim, the makom hazeh. There's no fear of God in this place. Your society may consider adultery immoral, and that's admirable. But because it doesn't flow from a belief in a higher being, it's just your opinion. Someone else, I'm sure, will come along with a different point of view and one day make an argument why adultery should be more acceptable, and tomorrow it will be commonplace. This is a question I want to leave you with. Where do we make our decisions? Where do our values come from? Are they rooted in God's will as expressed in our Torah, or do they flow from the culture and the society in which we live? Just remember that we have lived in so many different cultures and societies. We survived the Greeks, the Persians, the Romans, each with their own culture and value system. Societies change. God does not. We have remained as a people as long as we have because we have adhered to a code of ethics that goes beyond any culture and society in which we have ever lived. That doesn't mean, by the way, that we can't appreciate a culture and contribute towards the culture and society that we're in. We can participate and learn from this great country that we're privileged to live within, but we can never allow our unique moral code, which is thousands of years older and which comes from a higher place, to be replaced by the values of whatever country in whatever time we happen to live. One last example Rabbi Lamb gives, and that is the incredible investment, he said this back in the 60s, that so many American Jews make for their children's education and I put the word education in italics, secular education, which of course is important, while allowing, he said, their children's Jewish education to be relegated to a few afternoons a week and from which their child will be graduated by the time they are 12 or 13. He's of course referring to the Hebrew school movement, which unfortunately largely was a failure in this country. And the result was and is an incredibly successful Jewish community in terms of career advancement and prosperity and affluence, but almost pitiful in terms of Jewish knowledge and commitment. The lack of seriousness when it comes to Jewish education is certainly not a Jewish value. The Torah explicitly tells us, and to teach your children. And unfortunately, that was effectively replaced with the American dream to set up one's children to go beyond their parents so they can become more successful than they were, which of course is a wonderful thing. That's what every parent wants for their child. 
But our Jewish spiritual growth should also be part of what we want our kids to have more of than perhaps we did. This American value replaced the Jewish value of Jewish education, which we've always believed is just as important as material success in the world. But we follow a different value system. It's not a bad one, but it's not ours. And as a result, we're losing ourselves. How do we evaluate the way we speak to other people or about other people? How do we eat our meals? How do we spend whatever free time we have? How do we engage in our most personal, intimate relationships? Are all these activities guided by Judaism's moral system, or have we adopted a different morality? A morality which could be good at times, but since it's godless, it's not reliable, it's not consistent, it may be good, but it's not good enough. And so the next time you make an important decision, let's take a moment to ponder where the value system that we're drawing from to make that decision. Let's ask ourselves, is it a morality emerging from our culture, from our Jewish tradition, from the Torah? Is it a morality from man or a morality from God? A godless goodness will never last, said Rabbi Lamb. It won't compel us to do the right thing when it's hard to do the right thing, and it will never enable us to become a holy people. And he said, and I'll end with this, that if you subtract the, the three letters, G-O-D, from the word good, and you're left with a letter O, which he says looks like a zero, you take the godliness out of goodness, and there's nothing left. Let's take great pride in the moral path of our Torah and in doing so merit to do what is truly good and moral in the eyes of God. Thank you for listening.